I'm Mitch Gleason. I'm a natural observer, uh, creek walker. I'm John Waller. I'm a finder of things and a preserver of history. I'm Judd McCollum. I found a mammoth tusk, and this is the Prey Farm Podcast. I'm Doug Duran, a landowner trying to be a conservationist. I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan, director of conservation at Meat Eater. Angela from X and Root Homestead. Chris Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor Keene, founder of Sage. I'm Ryan Bryson with Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy Van Weingarten. Sam Sobold. Phil Ebert. Julie Meachin. And you are listening to the Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Podcast. Prairie Farm Podcast. Welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast. All right. I am uh, living my best life right now. Um, I'm sitting here at this table that is covered in... Um, I guess maybe the best word for it would be relics. Uh, I, I always struggle with this, and Judd, maybe you can correct me on this. Do these technically classify as fossils yet? Not quite. They're close. They're they're super old, but not super old enough, which in my opinion makes them even cooler. Because, you know, there's like a bajillion dino bones in the world, but there's only a handful of stag moose antlers and... Uh, bison skulls and very very few uh giant ground sloth skulls uh that you can observe (laughs) and we're just sitting at in front of a huge pile of them here nick is to my left he's actually he's just running uh running the production side of this today because we have three other guests here today we have judd mccollum mitch gleason and john waller with us and um, these three guys are really good at finding and identifying these types of relics. But uh, what the reason you're listening to this episode right now is because all parts of this interview have ended up into our uh, larger project, a documentary series that we called The Prehistoric Prairie. And the reason I wanted to do this interview is because this kind of stuff here is so incredibly interesting because it is completely gone from the landscape from a living standpoint. Uh, it gives us a glimpse into a world that is, is gone. But when we see these pieces still around, we... Now I know why Nick didn't want a mic. He's busy eating <laughs> chips and guacamole right now. Uh, we all got to live our best lives. <laughs> <laughs> One second. <laughs> but the, all of these, these relics, I think that's just the best word for them. I'm, I'm just going to go with it. All of these relics, um, they help paint that picture for us, and they help develop a deeper appreciation for the ground that we live on. We live closer to the land. Uh, Right before this, Mitch gave us probably an hour-long tour of some ground that is incredibly special to him. I could just tell you, he's excited. You know, it's his place. It's his happy place. It's where he uh, um, probably finds himself more than anywhere else, right? And uh if everyone, no, very few people are going to reach that. By the way, they're going to very few people are going to reach that love for the ground that Mitch has. But if everybody can get a few steps closer to that, I think that um, it becomes a much, uh, a much better place for us to live, and we make much better decisions in how we use the land and uh, what we value 
being here on the land. And so that's why we're doing this project. Um, just to start things off, though, Judd is kind of the, the hub of this conversation because Judd was the first guy I heard of that was doing this stuff. Um, Judd, uh, what was it? Maybe within 10 miles of where we're sitting, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Back in what year was it? 2005. 2000 or 2005, yep. 2005, doing a river survey for a college course, right? Yep. I did a few of those. They're fun, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's when you find out who all the, the city slicker kids are that uh, have never wandered through a creek before. Yep. But uh, weren't you dragging a seine or something like that across the river? No, the two guys um, that got in the water before me were pulling a seine, and they okay. got it. They either tripped over or got the seine hung up on what ended up being the, the tusk that I found. Yeah, and not just any <laughs> tusk. The biggest tusk uh, in Illinois mm-hmm. re- recovered in Illinois history, right? Yep, for sure. Yep. And what was the what was the length on that bad boy? Again? Uh, Eleven and some change. Eleven feet and some change. <laughs> that is so wild. Now, the the part that I love the most about that story, other than the fact that you found a mammoth tusk, was nobody believed you at first, right? Right. And, and, and everybody, and you were like there were multiple people to like physically touch this thing before you got to it. And they're all like, eh, get this annoying thing out of the way. Yep. And y- you, you were like, what is that? I and knew it wasn't supposed to be there. I knew it wasn't a tree <laughs> or a rock and it was, it was, I thought it was a femur or a humerus, but it ended up being a tusk when I picked it up, man. That, and, and your teacher didn't believe you. Your prof didn't yeah, believe you. Right? It, it, it took him a minute. Yeah. Hey, he's, uh, he's never going to live that down. We always <laughs> laugh about that when we get together. He's like, you always tell everybody about the tractor tire thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I picked up the middle section of it, which was three, three and a half feet long. And I'm holding it and I'm looking at the ends. And I said, I, uh, I found a tusk and he heard me and he turns around and he looks and you know, he's, he's a hundred yards away. So he can be forgiven right. for thinking this. And he goes, that's a, that's a piece of a tractor tire. You should probably get back to work. <laughs> so I, you know, I took it over and laid it out on the sandbar and I, I there's a girl, um, standing there pretty close to me. I said, Hey, stand right in this spot and don't move. And I came back and I got the, the, the base of it with the, uh, the root socket and set it down. And I went back and I got the tip and set it down. And there was actually a, part of a second tusk that I pulled up out of the, out of the Creek bottom and it, it split like a banana. So we, we lost it really quickly. But. Okay. So that probably changed your approach to that at that time. It's like, yeah, if I'm not careful. This thing's lost. Forever. Yeah. The clock was ticking. We immediately got on the horn to the state museum and, um, it just so happens that Jeff Saunders is one of, uh, the leading experts on mammoths and mastodonts. And he was right there in Springfield and he said, I'll be there tomorrow. He said, keep those things wet um, and so that night we stuffed them down the legs of waders and filled the later waders with water and half mm. buried them in the sandbar and were thought just sure somebody was going to call the, you know, emergency services cause there's bodies half buried <laughs> in the, along the Creek, but it didn't happen. So, yeah, well, that's, that's so wild though. That, that, <laughs> did you get any sleep that night leaving that no, thing behind? I didn't get sleep for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so a guy comes down, he's like. Yep, that's what you thought it was. Yeah, and Jeff showed up, and we, we, you know, we had questions. We were like, we suspected it was a mammoth tusk because we laid it out and had the curve, and you know, later found out we would have to find a, a tooth to confirm whether or not it was uh, a woolly mammoth or a Jefferson's mammoth. But he showed up. He showed up, and for minutes, and you know, people. 
have some time dilation there where they think that a few seconds is actually a minute, but he stood there for multiple minutes, maybe, you know, seven to 10 minutes just saying, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> that had to feel pretty cool there. Yeah. I was like, Oh wait, we've got something. Cause I really didn't know, you know, when I, when I found it and brought it across the sandbar, you know, everybody was gathered around looking at it. I, I had it up on one end trying to look down the root socket, just grinding the other end into the gravel. And mm-hmm. my professor had to be like, Hey, we need to be a little more careful with this. And so, yeah, we started treating it with kid gloves at that point. Sure, sure. But. Now we sh- we should also clarify here, you know wh- why? So it's significant if you find a mammoth tusk anywhere. However, mm-hmm. if you find a mammoth tusk in uh, Alaska, you know, uh, yes, it's still very cool, but it's more far to be from expected. being yeah, yeah far from being unheard of. Mm-hmm. This is in like kind of south central illinois yeah the geographic center of illinois yeah yeah here it is and you know there were a lot of people that that were dubious of it they thought that you know i had it after it spent 18 months drying i had people come and look at it and say are are you sure that's not wood Hmm. and i was like yeah i'm fairly certain that's not wood (laughs) you know and then, uh, and then the word kind of spread. And initially, I, I talked to you guys on the way down here about a farmer that contacted us and said he thought that he had part of a buffalo skull, as he called it, and said to come on out to his place. And I went out and I met him on his front porch. And I said, "Hi, I'm you know I'm Jed. Introduce myself." He had contacted the college to get a hold of me, and uh, I said, "What what have you got for me?" And he just reached around behind him and pulled out, you know, a, a mastodon tooth about the size of a size eight shoe wrapped in uh in jaw matrix in the bone and handed it to me and he said uh, well you know i just i kind of thought that was just a part of a buffalo head and hmm. you can have it <laughs> so, oh, oh okay it's, it's a mastodon you know it's a mastodon tooth it's a pretty big deal like you're you farm cattle like you know buffalo are about the same size and he's like i never thought anything about it i just put it in the basement to collect spider web so yeah. take it and get it out of here he told me about yeah. where he found it and i took it back to the college and then uh there was a, a bow hunter and i never got his name he had, he had read about the finding the paper and he was crossing a creek on the way into or out of his tree stand and found the tip of a tusk from wow. a mammoth or a mastodont and you know, gave it over to kind us. Kind of so. similar area. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was from, he was from here in Logan County. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's, it, it, we're going to get into this a lot more, of course, in this episode where we're talking about just the significance of why here, why, you know, how different the landscape must be now than when it was when these critters were living in the same zip code that, that you were, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's mind boggling to to consider all of this right but we'll keep moving around here to our our guests we also have mitch gleason mitch uh as we said was generous enough to take us and walks around some of his favorite haunts this afternoon just give us a little bit of history on the area that where we're sitting right now and uh even uh probably nick and my favorite part was we see that mitch is definitely a prairie enthusiast as well he's got a beautiful uh, a prairie just uh i guess what is that kind of north of us right now mm-hmm. and um that that is that 
got a lot of different species diversity in there and just looks great. Some of the tallest big blue and Indian that we've been around. So uh, nice, yeah, nutrient-rich soil here. This was the second year of growth on it, it so it's going it's wow. to get burnt this year. So Wow. This is only the second year after planting? Well, no, no, no. I mean, like, it was burned two oh, years okay. ago. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. yep. Yeah, so the, the, the prairie looks great, but we're here to talk about these bones, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, you uh, have found, I mean, just give us kind of a, you found a lot. But so, give us kind of a highlight reel of some of the, the be- biggest, best finds you've come across. So it, it started basically two years ago. I, I decided that I was going to find an arrowhead in the creek. And I was going out and looking around everywhere. I was coming up with blanks. And I ended up going out on a short little trip, short, short little trip from here, and I found uh, I could see four little bone nubs sticking up. And I knew it was something. Dug it up, and it was, ended up being a, a cow skull. But I thought it was a buffalo. <laughs> sure. And um, and I was kind of torn about it, and I still kind of am. But I, I knew that there was other stuff out there. It, was, it wasn't until I found an actual buffalo skull that I realized it was definitely a cow. Right. But yeah. I, and, now, and cow, he's saying not cow buffalo moo cow cow yeah man moo cow cow and um and so after i found some other um elk or the buffalo stuff i was going out and i found a pristine beautiful elk shed mm. and you yeah, know it's you know, on the way in you guys saw the, the what the terrain looks like here now i mean it's just cornfields and flat as an, you know flat, you know you could almost just see forever yep and there's no no change in the in the in the landscape at all really and you know, it's just corn and beans, and now you think about it, you're like, well, imagine an elk running out of the cornfield. You know, you can't hardly even imagine that. <laughs> right, yeah. And so then um, I ended up finding two elk sheds and a couple of bison skulls, and then um, got into really arrowhead hunting just on the dry ground around here. And then leads it up to this year, I decided, or then I also found a piece of uh, ivory, too, that I had up here. I don't know if, I, if you've even seen that kit. Oh, shoot. It's stable. <laughs> we'll, we'll erase that. It's stabilized. Yeah, it's stabilized. Edit, edit that, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, so this is. So what's this a tooth from? No, that's not tooth. That's, that's a tusk. Piece of ivory. This is. T- oh. Ooh, yeah, that's whoa. ivory. This is ivory. So they believe it's mammoth or yeah, mastodon. or or mastodon. It's one of the others. Like Judd said, you can't really tell what it what, what is what until you get a tooth. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is beautiful. And so you can see the the bark on the outside, and then it's got the growth rings on the side. And then if you look at the end grain, it looks like chevrons, and that's how you tell if it's if it's like wood or if it's ivory. Wow. Yeah, can you see those cool. little marks that look like V's? I think on the smaller end. Yeah, on the small end. Okay, this end right here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so then that's treated with a um, a super glue called uh, cyanoacrylate, but it's um, paleo that's bond. Cool. Yeah, that's just incredible to to even be like touching and handling stuff that's this old. And that's I think that's what makes this cooler than fossils, in my opinion, is it's still the the minerals. It's still the 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 physical thing that exists it's not just a you know a mineralized essentially rock that's mm-hmm. formed into the shape of what that bone was sorry to rain on your parade all you dino bone lovers <laughs> they're actually bones but these are these are the real deal it's really surprising how light that is yeah it is yeah yeah it probably would have been a little bit lighter without the paleo bond in yeah it too. yeah i mean when i picked it up you know it's the same same type of thing as as judd as i picked it up and i was like a little bit of ways from john and 
I said, I think this is ivory. I, I, I just had a weird feeling. I sent it to Judd and I said, because him and I had already been in kind of communicado just a little bit. Yeah. Just kind of just because we found out that he was the guy who found the mammoth tusk and, you know, real close to me. Well, next thing you know, he says, yep, that's that's it. And so <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> and John was just kind of just like, uh, just ready to go home. <laughs> yep. You know, he just didn't even want to give me the time of day, really. Yeah. He just wanted to keep rock hunting. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. And when Judd... Uh, confirmed it that's all i needed to know it's like all right if judd confirms it that's <laughs> clearly uh clearly what you think it is back, back to the it mission. just comes on things like this i mean you're so used to looking at what we're used to looking at and then you have something that's twelve thousand years old plus in your hand and you're just like wait this isn't what i'm used to looking at what is this mm-hmm. it's not a deer bone and <laughs> you know then it starts uh you start uh, kind of canceling things out or taking pictures really and send it off to people like Judd that, you know, can really give a definitive answer and knows his stuff. But um, we just out there uh, walk in and you just don't know what each step is going to lead to. That's at the end of the day, that's all it boils down to. It's yep. like, uh, and every step you put in is going to bring you closer to something that you don't even know what that something is, but it's still bringing you closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well said. So, you know, uh, this is our, our third person that you just heard from here. This is this is John Waller, and we'll talk about some of the other finds here too. There's there, there's stag moose antlers on this table, and uh, I am a hopeless shed head. I love shed hunting. I, I, love, I love deer hunting, but I love shed hunting just as much as I love deer hunting. Uh, there's just... I don't know. The, those of us that like to, uh, uh, when you hear uh, John's intro on here, he called himself a finder of things. I think those of us that like to find things, there's just some kind of itch in our brain that we can never scratch by finding enough st- cool stuff. And so uh, to see some stag moose antlers is just phenomenal. And one does appear to be a shed, not just a broken off uh, dead head or something like that. It's it's a it's a stag moose shed, which is so cool. But um also tells us that uh you know the shed hunters back then weren't as good you know they didn't find that thing back (laughs) i think i think all the antlers i have on the table from the two elk the stag um they're all from sheds yeah yeah that's that is so cool cool. and and the elk antler which uh, i should have done a little more research on this maybe you guys know when elk officially were extirpated and and essentially i mean we could in a way say extinct because that you know any moose or not moose any elk uh variety subspecies east of the mississippi river uh, is is now extinct everything that's been reestablished, like in kentucky and and uh even in wisconsin uh, uh pennsylvania and and uh some of those other eastern states all off of western subspecies uh bloodlines but um when does anybody know when elk officially disappeared from illinois and for when the logan county record as far as i can tell that basically there's really no speak of it so i imagine that it was basically gone as soon as settlers started coming through so like late 1700s right at the beginning in 1800s they by that point in time they the, well, I think the Native Americans were uh, utilizing them a lot too with the with the fires, and so they were kind of putting a herd on them too. So uh, I know that there were definitely no really talk of them. So they were definitely gone by eighteen by statehood eighteen eighteen. 
Okay, sure. For sure. So, so uh, you know, we're talking... 200 years, yeah, 250 yeah, uh, years. Yeah, antler been laying in a creek for 200 and some years or something like that, and just... just it, outstanding it's in such good shape that i figured it had to be buried almost like that that season immediately because you know it doesn't really i find other other deer antlers and the deer antlers are crumbling apart Mm -hmm. right yep and and you find this and it's still in solid condition and everything it's yeah yeah mitch they uh carbon dated the one at the state museum that was found in uh Kickapoo, Kickapoo, and that was right. a, that was over two thousand. That was just over two thousand years old, and that was the wow, oldest. That right. was the oldest so, elk, elk fossil or elk remains found in Illinois. We can say a couple wow. a couple hundred years, but when you're finding stuff mm, three like point, this, three thousand to three hundred. <clears throat> the way that this is uh, this elk shed right here, I mean, that's got some age on it. That isn't a couple oh, yeah. hundred years old. That, well, that one was fully exposed to the elements. It was sitting on top of the gravel in kind of wow. a full sun area. I mean, mine was too, but it, you know, I think that these probably came out of the same flood event. Yeah, because we had we had two hundred year floods last year. So okay, yep. You know, it really kind of churned things up Opened and changed things, things completely Honestly, everywhere. Everything on this table, which is a lot for the most part, came out of that flood event. Yeah. Okay. Or got pushed around by it in one way or another. Yeah, peel back mud or whatever. Yeah, that is that is that is just fascinating. Um, John, you have <laughs> probably, you have the elephant in the room, almost literally here, we could say, with some <laughs> of these artifacts. But, but um, you got the uh, giant ground sloth skull. How did you get started with uh, looking for all this stuff? Well, I was always interested in just uh, history. I just love history. I love uh, knowing what happened before me and cultures. I just love uh, ancient cultures and different things like that. And I have an uncle, um, an Uncle Ronnie Baumhart, with just a massive uh, collection of artifacts and always interested me as a kid. You know, I always wanted to uh, be the guy to go out and find one. And it just didn't happen for me for uh, many, many years. Uh, yeah. You know, I grew up country kid, and I, uh, you know, luckily we're blessed in this area with a lot of creeks and rivers and uh, a lot of nature. So I grew up where you get a winter tube and you'd go floating down the river and you might get your city friends and take them with you. Well, I go on this trip and I take one of my city friends with me and we walk, I haven't even gotten in the water yet, and he, pauses and lets out a shout like oh wow and he just you know stumbled across an arrowhead mm. and you know that's how it happens a lot of times it's just right place right time you just happen to look down and they're pretty you know it isn't around rock so it you know it's gonna stand out um but yeah that was 20 years ago and i always wanted to find one i spent a lot of time on rock bars i'd always keep my head down always you know when's it gonna happen and in 2017, I was just kayaking with a buddy, and uh, I honestly was building a fort for my son, so I was gathering, like, beaver sticks, and I'm just cruising down the river, and I see, like, a big, like, a cool beaver log, and I'm like, I'll go grab that. And I uh, went to go, got onto the sandbar, and just uh, instantly got off, looked down, and there's my first artifact, and, I mean, it was pristine, it probably 8,000 years old Hmm. um, from the time when they had atlatls. So before, you know, like bow and arrow, before all that stuff. uh, And so I finally uh, found my arrowhead and 
from then, you know, I just put a little more time in and uh, just kept kept looking. Man, that is that is uh, fascinating. Um, so, you know, with all of this stuff that you guys have found, it's just it's, it's outstanding. It's you can't even put words to it, really. Uh, you've gotten you've had to have gotten an idea of what this place was like you know hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago and um when we when your mind wanders that way and i'm sure you guys have done quite a bit of research as well and i know you've you've uh, taken some of your finds into museums and gotten more information on them judd the mammoth tusk is in a museum now Mm -hmm. and uh there's been all this other and maybe this is what i love about shed hunting you don't get it to this extent, but you get some of that idea of like a bigger story comes together, right? And especially if you start finding sheds from a deer multiple years in a row or something like that, you kind of get a picture of who this deer is, where he hangs out, all that stuff. Extra information, right? Building a story. Right. You're Exactly. You're piecing a story together. So when it comes to that, when you're finding stuff like this, which is much more significant than a whitetail antler, what we'll just start with the number 300 years ago what based on your finds and any research you've done what do you think the midwestern prairies would have been been like 300 years ago like from a you know megafauna standpoint even to maybe how the rivers would have been how you know vegetation would have looked you know what what do you what do you think judd Oh, 300 years ago, you're probably looking at, you know, meandering streams and rivers with really healthy um, riparian corridors, creek creek corridors with tons of life in them. And that probably gave way to some oak savanna. Um, of course, you've got your upland hardwood forest, stuff like that. But as far as the, the animal life, you know, we were at the, the peak of the bison population at that point. Mm. Um, for having lack of competition with other me- megafauna for 12,000 years. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just really fun to think about. It yeah. never ceases to make me grin when I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Timestamp that you got that. So then Mitch, as you're looking at, at, uh, you know, things that are thousands of years old, what kind of picture is, you know, we're starting to stretch now. Let's go from like 300 to that thousand, to, you know, maybe back to 10,000. What, what are you starting to see based on what you're finding? Maybe numbers of things. So this area was, um, was involved with the last, with the furthest glaciation that came South. And, um, it was like one of the last glaciers to, to, to come down to. And, um, that event happened, you know, the edge of it was not very far from here. So there's a glacial moraine um, that is associates with the only terrain that's in the county. And um, everything that was, you know, creates, it also creates our streams. Um, everything that was not in those county, or in, in those stream beds areas was, was grass pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was burnt by Native Americans. Um, they, uh, they maintained the prairies through either use of war or hunting or, um, just they just understood that the, that it made the the uh, the prairies greener and it attracted everything else. Um, but during that time, coming out of the glacial the period, 
I mean, early, you know, several 10,000 years ago, it would have looked a lot like the tundra of, of Alaska. I mean, very um, bare exposed rock soils, um, boreal forest. Um, I, we find, we do find boreal wood um, buried in, oh, in the really? region. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we do find, we do wow. find quite a bit of wood that, it, I mean, you pick it up and it just smells like sulfur and, and you break it apart and it looks like charcoal. It's just barely there, yeah. It's wow. barely there. I mean, you can just grab it and just pull it out of the bank. So so if you're listening and you're wondering, okay, what's that word boreal mean? Boreal forest would be basically the, kind of the last tree line as you head north on our continent, right before you get to just ice. And uh, it's uh, these really shallow rooted trees, uh, beaver uh, dams. There would have been there would have been be- beaver dams, very tall. Sure. Yep. Um, you know, because it would have been very something easy that would have been for them to take down. Um, there would have been pockets of water, little lakes. Um, there was actually a lake that was formed up here. It was a natural lake area that they drained out. Um, it it was just it was a lot of swamp. Hence the reason why the, um, the the stag moose antler, you know, granted that's a little bit older, but the stag moose antler is fine because whenever he lost that antler, he probably lost it in belly deep water, hmm. in, yeah. a peat, in a peat, and that's and that's so it fell down into the peat, and then it then it then it de- the peat decomposed and eventually washed out into the creek bank and then it deposited it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So all that all that to say. And the, oh, and the, there would have been right, right around when Judd said, you know, the the in between that time frame coming out of the boreal, it would have gone into quickly into tall, you know, horse. They, saw, they call it horse high Indian uh, grass and and blue stem and all these other grasses. That mm. I mean, they you know the horses it was over the rider's head. I mean, it was just twelve, that's, fourteen foot tall is what they talk about. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, and and uh, of course, you know, some of that stuff varies on ecotype too. We, we even see that where when we're selling our seed at Hoxie, uh, it's it's uh, you know going to match the soil that it should be in, and, and you know, Indian grass from one part of the country is going to be a little bit different than others. But we get the idea here that very different than what we see now mm-hmm. is is how not just this area but all of the Midwest, and uh, you know, the Mississippi River kind of served as a a stopping point i guess you could say or a pausing point maybe would be a better word for that western expansion and so as you know nick and i were west of the mississippi and into iowa that development started a little bit later than not much later but a little bit later than around here but when we fast forward to today you know all these things that we see here on the on the table were found in Iowa too at one time and they're gone there too. They're gone everywhere. And the prairies have, have changed so much, even in the ways that, that Mitch has, has said going back thousands of years. Uh, and, and, um, you know, where we are today, it's hard to imagine some of these things being around, but, uh, John, you gave us a really cool, so here's a, here's something Nick just texted me while we're recording that I need to make a little announcement here to see these finds go on to uh, our uh, Instagram page at Hoxie native seeds. And you can see images of these and you'll see a video of John explaining to us, um, how the, uh, ground sloth would have fed on trees. Uh, you can just look at the structure of its, uh, mouth, the uh, kind of the palate bones of the of the roof of the mouth for that uh, animal, and then also the gap in its teeth and the positioning of its molars for how it would have fed. But we get the idea, John, that there was still a lot of 
hardwood trees around here that um, these ground sloths would have been feeding on, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they would have been stripping everything they could reach, really, and uh, just chewing it up and growing in the massive creatures. And, I mean, it's hard to imagine, like, a Volkswagen bug just walking around. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, I mean... If you look these creatures up, they're just so strange. Like, yeah. how could something like that evolve, adapt, survive? Uh, just a meandering Volkswagen bus with uh, flesh and bone while it's competing with, you know, like giant cats, American lion. Uh, yeah. Short-faced bear. And short yeah. fa- oh, man, that's probably the, the worst one. And then you got, uh, you know, us hunting it, too. So... Um, I mean, there is a lot of space, a lot of forest for these creatures, and they could just get in there and thrive. Yeah, and, and something you mentioned with, so you're really into collecting points as well, uh, Native American yeah, that's uh, what, points. Yeah, that's what got the feet moving. And so, you know, seeing people's collections, you know these things exist. Now, did I have an uncle that had a bunch of ice-aged mammals in his basement? No, so... That wasn't something that I ever thought was possible. Um, and I kind of tell a quick story of that. Um, you know, so I was out, like I said, the feet were moving for the points. That's what I was kind of looking for. And one day uh, I decided to get to the river. It was really the first time I was going to go actively hunt just by myself so I could go at my own pace and really explore, take my time with it. Um, and I actually... Mitch will attest to this, but I begged Mitch to go with me on this trip because uh, who wants to go really on like yeah. down to the river kayaking right. by themselves? So I was trying to get someone to go. Couldn't get Mitch to go. Borrowed um, a kayak for me. So I, <laughs> I I ended up on the river by myself, and I'm just uh, hadn't gotten very far from the bridge, and uh, lo and behold, I find like an amazing agate basin point. If you look that up, I mean that point would have been in the period that would have been hunting megafauna. So it was, uh, I didn't know that at the time, but I'm like, wow, this is an amazing spear point. I never thought I would find something like this. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I was, I was going is you told me about how your points, you know, when you match the dates on when these animals were living to the dates, when these points were believed to have been made, the, the points match the prey right yes yeah, some of them especially the agate basin it's right at the end of it but it's, uh that technology was definitely developed to take down these large uh large creatures and uh that day i just got fortunate enough you know being out there by myself just looking every little bit of rock and uh so the first sandbar i really looked i found the spear point the second one, I found a Thebes hafted scraper, just an amazing point. Like, I almost could have pulled up to the sandbar and picked it up uh, from my kayak. And then I I was kind of beating the sun, so I was like, well, I need to get down river. I hadn't gotten very far, so I was going to hoof it down to a spot where I know where there's a lot of um, bottles, just maybe from the 50s, 60s. It's fun to find anything, really, so... I was going to 
get down to that spot and I'm kicking around on that sandbar, finding a bottle here or there. I was like, oh, maybe I'll find another point. And then I nearly kick over a mammoth tooth. It's just laying there on the <laughs> ground. Wow. With full, it has, I mean, it's a full tooth and it has all like, uh, all the roots intact. Uh, it was just sitting there. And I mean, normally whenever I find something, I'll take a picture. I want to like category, it, you know, like get it all a good video, like three, four pictures, every angle um to record it and on this i just it was a moment of shock so <laughs> like an arrowhead i i understand that i understand they exist you know i understand you can put in the time and find them well now i'm looking at a mammoth tooth the creature that died twelve thousand years ago Ooh. and it's nearly pristine and then you become a believer in other things and those things are uh what's on this table and um from that point on i was like you know, I was kind of just half-assing looking for arrowheads a little bit here. If I'd be out with friends, I'd take a little bit of time to look at the rocks. But uh, this really sold it on me that the history is out there. But you have to go out and be out there if you're going to find any of it. And from that day forward, I'm like, I'm putting more time into this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to look at and, and to make that connection and and uh, see how we as humans were interacting with these things, we're living alongside of them, eating them, you know, hunting them. And uh, when you look at the size of some of these animals, I'm sure a lot of humans lost their lives trying to hunt them, you know, just big, dangerous animals that, that had a lot of power and, you know, a will to survive as well. So uh, just, just incredible to, to get that. Now let's kind of take that a step further and as you guys have been doing this, you know, kind of going back to the example with shed hunting, where when you pick up a, a shed, you know, your mind starts to wander a little bit. Okay, I wonder what this buck was. Why was why was he here? You know, what was he? Where did he come from? Wonder where the match is. You know, and sometimes you'll find a match maybe almost a mile away from where the other shed was. And it's like, why on earth did it take that long to drop that other side? And, or maybe you'll see, you know, there's a big chunk of uh, skull on the end of that. And, and, you know, be like, man, he must've dropped the other one first and tried to kick this one off to balance out his, his, his headgear again, or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you just, your mind wanders, but again, that's such a small scale compared to finding a, you know, giant bison skull in a Creek. I got to imagine that you're, you start having those mind movies going on big time as you're finding the stuff and while you're looking for it. You know, can each of you give me maybe an example of when you're, you're, you got lost in ancient history a little bit while you, you know, after you found something and maybe talk about some of the things you pictured and, and wondered about and questions maybe you still have uh when that moment happened well i could talk about uh the giant ground sloth skull because i know exactly what i was thinking i was thinking what the hell is this yeah <laughs> and you know uh not being versed in it my uh my intuition was either giant beaver or ground sloth so i had those two possibilities that i was telling myself when i was looking at it but then I was like, well, I got to cancel one of these out and lean on one. So 
I was like, ground sloth, that's just too far. Like, I'm I'm sitting there looking at a tree that's been chewed up by a beaver. So I'm like, this makes sense. Like, yeah. Uh, so I was leaning towards the beaver, and just how the teeth are, I was like, well, maybe like a really old beaver that, like, you know, has worn down his teeth. Maybe that's why he died. Um, so well, and, and and to be to be clear, you were probably thinking of giant beaver, right? The, the, yeah, the, yeah, the I knew. Yeah, beaver yeah I two hundred pounds, right? Castoroides. What I first yep. thought was this doesn't exist today. Like this yeah. is an extinct <laughs> animal. Like that was my first thought. My second thought was beaver or sloth. I thought sloth was just too far fetched, so I was going to lean towards beaver. And I looked it up on my phone. And without like a size reference, the side angle does look a lot. They look similar. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I took pictures. I sent it uh, to Mitch, and he was going to send it to Judd to get back to me or get back to us. And uh, then um, I continue the hunt, and luckily I found another point and then another little knife, uh, some artifacts. So I had a nice little... Uh, trifecta of fun that day but by the time i got to maybe the last sandbar mitch got back to me and he was like oh bad news john it it isn't a giant beaver i'm like well what in the heck could it be <laughs> and he's like it, and he wanted to kill me of course but he's just like yeah. <laughs> and he probably he you know it's like when someone's telling you something but they almost are like grinding their teeth like you son of a gun but uh he's like uh like John, it is a ground sloth. Like Judd is hundred percent sure. You know how the teeth have that gap. That's the that's one of the tall, mm. tall tells. You know, um, other than obviously everything else. Once you actually uh, know what you're looking at, but uh, no, to me it was just you think of these just a giant creature. Like this isn't real. You think of a sloth and the skulls either like the size of a small sloth or you know half the size of a large sloth and that's just the skull right and then you're just like you know and these animals also since we hunted them they shaped our our uh our ancestors you know like so that's true some of the dna in these creatures and isn't us just by the effect that we depended on them in our history so it's just amazing to think that like this far off history that just seems so out of reach is still there and being exposed every day. Um, at the same time, that exposure is what's going to start decaying it and destroying it. So yeah. to me, the best thing I can do is get out there and save this history before the river just tumbles it into nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or that's a great point. Like, that's a great point. And I, and I want to get to that here. Uh, later in this interview, uh, the, talking about the importance of what you guys do. But, Mitch, can you explain a moment when you pick something up and your mind just started wandering? Like, what what thoughts were? It has to be the 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 stag moose uh, base that I have. I mean, when I picked it up, I I picked it up out of about ten inches of water right off the bank. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, you know, I, I pick up everything. John gets kind of mad at me. Kind of makes fun of me because I mean, I pick up every stick. <laughs> you know, I, I fl- I'm, 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 he's much better now. There was a time, <laughs> I, I, but I, mean, I have to, I have to pick up everything because there's just so much stuff out there, right. and you, you just don't know what it's going to be. And you, pretty quickly, if you put your hands on it, you can tell. You know, but 
when I picked up, when I put my hands around the, the base of this thing, I said, Ooh, I got an elk or a shed antler. And I, and I picked yeah. it up and I looked at the, how it has a, like a, a little yeah. bit of like a paddle break big into pal, it. Big palmation. Yeah. Right big palmation break on it. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, that looks like a lot like a moose. And I, I had been kind of hoping to find some other type of stuff, but you know, it wasn't, it was not on my list. It really, when it comes to, to finds, it was, he was always been tusks. I have a little piece of ivory and, um, I found lots of other things, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I was hoping for an elk antler at first, but you know, he's to find this. Is, <laughs> you got a lot more than an elk antler and elk antler is a, would be a find of a lifetime for me. So, yeah. And so like when it comes into like what, like wondering about like, you know, letting, letting my mind wander, it's this elk antler has all these, these cavities in and along the bases of it, you know, all along the edge. And I, at first, whenever I picked it up, it took me, like probably a month to get around to finally cleaning up my my uh, stag moose <clears throat> finds because I was kind of hoping to let them dry out and stabilize a little bit before sure. I started messing with them. But I thought it was erosion. And when after I started cleaning it up and after I sealed them up and everything, I looked at it and I realized that I'm pretty sure this is bug bites. Oh, it's, from it's when mosquitoes, it was and mosquitoes, and flies and ticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and so it, you know this poor guy he he was he was he was getting. I mean, he was getting eaten to death by, yeah. by insects. So it's just kind of interesting that, you know, how, you know, I just kind of imagine like all of the bad, uh, you know, the worst thing in mosquitoes I've ever seen out here is probably not even yeah. more, as close to what this guy experienced. Cause I mean, a they, lot they, boggier time. I mean, yeah. I've had him, I've had him bad out here you know, along this Creek bottom next to my house that John got out of the vehicle one day and I told him here, you're going to want this. And he goes, Oh, I'm just going to go to the restroom and then and get good and get out of here. I mean, he got no more started peeing and he had, put on, <laughs> he had to put on off cause we were just, I mean, it just swarms of them. I mean, it was, it was, it was last year when we had the two hundred year floods. I mean, it was just the worst mosquitoes you could ever yeah. imagine. And I actually read some accounts about how much malaria was out here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know, the one thing that we didn't really, really touch on when you uh, when we were asking, you know, what the past looked like, and water. I mean, water, water was, yeah, the amount of water. The way I look at it is like nowadays our water systems are like running down veins. Mm-hmm. They're almost like a vein system where it's real controlled. Back then, it would be more like veins to lungs. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great and description. The, and the capillaries would be all the marshes and all that. So yeah. you'd have every time you had all this water come in, it'd flood out and create all these marshes. And I mean, that was a big, big part of, uh, I mean, even in the 1800s, that's when they were trying to control out all that stuff. But imagine back even further when there is even more water to displace. And you can look at one sand hill. And then another sand hill that's a mile apart. And that was the river back in the day. Now you're looking at a small little strip of river in the middle of it. And really, that's just where the water is going to play. It's going to play between those two points. And Mm -hmm. at one time, it was completely filled that whole gap. So imagine the difference of the water in the past. I mean, you you saw on our walk, you saw that there was another drainage ditch that was out there. And there was like all these little ditches that ran through the timber. Well, that from the hillside that my my house sits on to, to past where we were, there's there's another hill. Well, it means everything in between the river had shifted between here and there over about a mile away. 
over the, you know, consistently for the past 7,000 or 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 years. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and it, it's a, it's a, from the top of the hill where it would have been upland prairie then after immediately following, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, probably 20 feet in elevation wow. that it's, it's, that it's either added up or, um, eroded away down into it. And then this area was also channelized. A lot of this was. Okay. Yeah. And that, and that makes a big difference for finding this stuff, right? If a creek yeah. has been channelized or not. I, I, I believe it helps a little bit. You know, it, it kind of makes a little bit of difference because it, it, cause the water always wants to find its way back to the original course. It okay. doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what they do. I mean, it's going to find the sand, po- the original sand pockets. It's going to, it's going to eat it, that stuff. So, so here, here's what I was complaining about to Judd. I, I have access to two, two creeks that were, you know, on family ground where I could go looking for stuff, but they both have been excavated, dozed and, you know, reworked. Could I still find stuff in there? You think? I absolutely think you, you could, especially, you know, towards the bottom. Cause it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a uh, sluice box, gold. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you know the, 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 you'll find you'll find things kind of graded out in the river. At, you know, if, once you start finding pockets of, you know, kind of like a, you know, it's, things are classified, if you sure. will, sure. It is to a certain scale. Then you then you start noticing that it's, it's a bunch of it there. Yeah, that is all right. Well, the Nick, big thing that's where we're headed after this. The big <laughs> thing is. Uh, getting out there because you'll yeah. never build that picture if you're not looking so That's true yeah. you can imagine what might be there or what isn't but until you actually get out there to me if if you're seeing gravel if you're uh to me the signs are gravel and uh what the sand's doing um what the banks are like but if you have gravel to me the way i uh consider like finding these arrowheads that gravel is kind of like concentrate. So it's kind of like gold mining. When you have, when you're gold mining, you go, you go get the layer where the gold's in. It doesn't mean it's all gold, but you get down to that layer. So if you have the gravel bars, you're at that layer. Okay. So, I mean, maybe a, just a small, small percent is going to be an artifact, but if it's congregating, then it's the river's doing the work for you. It's putting all this material in okay. one spot. Yep. And it's it's always agitating that too, so you don't know it's down at the bottom. But for me, there's so much surface area, you know, just to scan the top. Some people want to get in and sift and do all this or that. But if you have a lot of gravel to look at, just look at the top gravel and I mean you're gonna end up either finding small little bits that's gonna build that picture or maybe broken material um and then on the rivers you just find a lot more actual material that hasn't been broken by the plow and stuff like that so sure um if it's out there you gotta make those steps and investigate and if Mm -hmm. and then the more you look the more you build a picture of that area so like for me and mitch there's spots that we would you'd probably have to you know force us to go look and then there's spots that we know oh man we've had luck here there's been a rain so you build those hot spots and uh it just gets better the more you have rain and the more stuff gets exposed yeah yeah that's that is so cool and it gives me hope that i'll be able to dig something up like this one of these days and you know i'll be letting you guys know if i do oh sure oh yeah i see plenty of stuff that comes out of iowa 
I, on on Facebook groups that, sure, I, that I'm sure. on that is associated with this type of hobby. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people with the sickness. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely have it. I just got to find something you know that's more recent than like a three year old shed. <laughs> it's or, I mean, not more recent. If, more, if older you've hunted than. sheds, you know that every step is taking you closer to something. That's true. So, yep. When you're hunting anything, it could be a thousand steps before that discovery. It could be the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only the factor is, are you making the steps? And for me, uh, that's how I look at it. So. Yeah, you know, I could go. Point. I could go a day and hunt one whole side of the river and find nothing, and then keep a system where I'm going to hunt the other side, and then I could score. You know, but without building that full picture and looking every possible spot that you can, you're just not going to have the picture, and everything's speculation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you do that. You walk one side of the river one day and one side of the river the next, and then wait a week and come back and do the same thing and it's completely different mm-hmm. depending on what's happened if you've had some good rain and stuff yeah. like that yeah it changes constantly the yeah. sands once uh, that water comes up i consider it like I, i'm not a guy with the bulldozer i'm not a guy with a lot of land i can't i don't have a spot to go uh dig stuff up and start an excavation but every time we have a good rain event nature's doing that for for me or anybody that looks for this stuff so it's the excavator it's the bulldozer and it's constantly spilling out history the history's there yeah it's just a matter of are you there to find it mm -hmm. yeah and and i know that the stuff is is coming out of the banks with my bison school where where i found it at i mean it's just right along the the bank of the river and it's just just falling out and it's the way it's sitting it was sitting nose up and usually it's the other way around i think it, it he had to have like basically been dropped there and just deposited there and it was completely filled with mud i mean it took john and i like i think over 30 minutes or th- almost 30 minutes to shake it out you, huh. to get, i mean if you still pick it up and shake it you still you'll still hear mud and sand up in there but wow. now but now it's pretty much sealed up for eternity but um <laughs> we might want to add that this is also the same waterway that judd found his yeah several mammoths several, several so we found apart. In this same waterway, we've found stag moose, we've found elk, giant ground sloth, mammoth tooth. Muskox. Oh, and the giant beaver. A mammoth, um, mammoth vertebrae. The, and the, the bison. ivory wasn't found up there, though. But, yeah. And then, wow. yeah, then, then several That's bisons. Insane. Several bisons. So, evidently, you know, this brings me to my next my next uh, direction with this question. Also, I want to touch on something here, too. So, when when Mitch was talking about mosquito bites and, and you know, even other biting insects that could have caused these pock marks on this antler, you might be thinking, what? That's like bone. Well, yes, eventually it's bone. Uh, during the growing uh, time of the year for, for an antlered animal, for a cervid, that is very soft, delicate tissue, squishy even. And uh, it's well known to, you know, if you find a, a white-tailed antler that's got a big hole in it, probably from a botfly uh, larvae that was, you know, feeding away on that antler in that spot. And so, yeah, that certainly does happen. But anyways, the, what, what we're getting to here is, is uh, you know, kind of the, the, the next thing we really – want to be you know talking about when you're finding all of these different species in one area it makes you wonder why right why is this major deposit happening and when you can come up with some answers to that question you get 
more of an idea what the landscape looked like at that time. So any any reasons, Judd, why you would think that, like what John just talked about, listing all these different species would be found in one relatively small area? I mean, it just speaks to the, the density of the animals. They would have existed like this all, mm. all across their range. I don't think this is any special concentration of animals. I think this is a, a special circumstance where the creek is doing the work and, and excavating down to that gravel layer in the right way and in such a broad way that it, it is revealing this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Mitch, any any thoughts why you think there, there'd be so many there? It, well, it has to do with, with the glacial moraine, the way it carved out the it, the way it carved out the landscape and it made these because the, the creeks were here we we may have channelized them but they they just the settlers just utilized at the low low, low wet ground hmm. um so there would have always been lots of water in the area and it always built because if depending on which which way you look at it the the end of the ice age there was a very warm period it was very dry and so yeah. i mean you know if you didn't have if there wasn't in an area that was close to these pockets of high amounts of moisture i mean you could have been in you know basically a desert desert yeah essentially yeah. and so um you know the the water shaped the shaped the landscape and then it also deposited all the silts a lot of the silts that we have here creating the, the peat bogs and everything else that built our prairies that yeah. we have here that are local and so in a way you're what you're describing is the right conditions for preserving a lot of dead stuff yes exactly and that's the other main thing like judd was saying it, it's it's also that's the way that you know the amount of water that was there created the oxygen um de, de, uh, deficient areas that you know preserve these bones because mm. without if you just set something on the surface of the of the ground you know eventually just turn get all bleached out crack and as soon as it gets touches water again then it sh- then it shatters the freezing thaw and things just it's just really really hard on stuff so it's kind of important that we find things that are in the water or going to be exposed to elements and stuff like that that are that are that are just going to just turn to dust essentially yeah yeah you know as you as you guys are saying this it makes me think too it's you know the the amount of life i mean these things are found over thousands of years difference you know like that bison skull sitting on this table it looks as old as that as that uh uh ground sloth skull but it very well could be several thousands of years apart mm-hmm. just depending on the circumstances in which it was buried and and all that so so much life you know is existing at one time on the planet and uh, could could that just be part of it is like there's just been so much time that it's allowed for all these <laughs> all these specimens to collect sure you know in in, in that and, and you know going with this idea that mitch is talking about here where it's the right place for it to collect what do you think john i think we got to think about what animals do today and they love transition mm. zones so if you have a glacier and then you have uh the other side of the glacier that's i mean what's a bigger transitional zone than that yeah that's true and then it's also ebbing and flowing it's also contracting and then pushing itself back over there so say it say you have years where the glacier kind of pulls back the animals are going back into that transition transitional following, zone following that microclimate really and mm-hmm. then you could have a year where the glacier pushes back out and then it's gonna preserve all that at that mm. point 
bury it and then you have the another glacier comes back through and pushes sediment over it Mm -hmm. so maybe that could be the ebb and flow of that glacier that's constantly letting the animals go into a corridor then the corridor closes and there's that ebb and flow of the glacier the animals are going to be in that transitional zone at the same time the glacier is going to could possibly be helping bury them or just the melting ice and all the water a lot of bones are going to end up in the in the sink and that's exactly where we want them we call that disarticulation (laughs) you know plus plus our area has a pretty low water table too so i mean when you go down and you hit clay pretty soon it's going to keep the water there sure and that's right where the bones are yep so that's got to be beneficial to uh preserving this stuff yeah yeah that that makes a ton of sense you know you, you there's a lot of life and death in between each expansion contraction of that glacier biggest and, part of nature is ebb and flow and yeah forget about that all the time like oh things changed today like well i hope so like if things don't change and then maybe uh go back to how they were i mean that's what life has always been an ebb and flow and glaciers were a huge huge uh factor yeah yeah i ice is very powerful but it's also pretty easy to change <laughs> mm-hmm. just raise the temperature yep. a few degrees and and uh it, it's going to change in a big way and it's going to change the landscape with it so it's yeah all all excellent points and observations you know kind of as we we finish this episode up um and we could go for hours and hours but nick and i got a lot of hours and hours (laughs) to drive yet tonight but (laughs) but um when you know somebody listen to this be like yeah this is really cool and really interesting but why is this even important you know none of these things exist anymore well the bison do but not here and same with the always way uh but but uh you know why does this why is this stuff important to preserve so let's kind of go around and maybe you guys offer your opinion on that matter judd we'll start with you why do you think it's worthwhile to find this stuff and uh preserve it um it's i think it's worthwhile to find it because so few people have even thought about it existing here you know they go about their day-to-day lives on pavement that's been here you know, within a hundred years and on Mm. roads that have been here within 150 years. And they don't think any deeper than that, you know, like literally deeper in the ground than that. And, uh, to be getting this stuff out, we've got, we've got a pretty good museum quality collection sitting here on this table, you know, and to be able to show that to people and open their eyes to how things were. It's, uh, it's what, um, Jeffrey Saunders, the, 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 the uh, scientist that helped me with my mammoth tusk would have called a new land of the eye. It's a completely new way of thinking about things. Mm. It's something you'd never even considered really, if you're just going about your day to day life and paying attention to YouTube and what's going on in politics, it's, it can really <laughs> just blow your socks off. If you see a giant ground sloth skull or, you know, a bison skull yeah. this size, stagmoose, it just, <laughs> it just blows your mind. You yeah. know what I mean? When you think about the scale of these animals and the environment that they required to live, it's just really cool and a lot of people if they haven't thought about it think the same Mm, yeah excellent excellent points mitch what do you think why does any of this matter well it it kind of matters to me because i i kind of going back a little bit initially whenever i started arrowhead hunting and everything last year before i found any of the you know in my major finds i found a 
a, a white piece of plastic tab out in the middle of my fe- uh, arrowhead hunting field. Hmm. And as I found this tab, you know, I kind of wipe it off and see what it says. You know, I'm a half mile from anything else, and it says, keep looking. <laughs> it's a Snapple cap. It's a Snapple, a snapple cap, cap or something. <laughs> and you know, I, had, I had a couple, like, points or whatever, and so it here I am holding this, this cap that says, keep looking. And so I'm kind of looking around, and it just ever since then, I've just thought about it. And I was like, there's some type of message that tells me to keep looking. And so that's kind of why it's important to me, but I think it's also important to, to find this stuff. So it's it's just another source of, of information and basically you know mm. basically every, everybody and everybody should be going out there and trying to make their own realization or you know rationalizations of what you know history is saying and you know the way the world is and, and you find out that it's you know maybe not exactly what we you know what we were always told or what we assume you know that there is a there is a whole different world out there basically yeah right under and that and how and how uh, um little that we our our impact or our time frame is but how big yes. of impacts we've actually had on the landscape and everything too yeah excellent point excellent point very true jonathan what do you think i mean to me it just tells a, a story of the world um and it's a reminder you know all these animals existed and something happened there's mm. a, a debate on that um you got different competing theories. Let's just call them theories because a lot of people throw stuff, you know, at a wall and, and call it science. But to me, it's a part of history. It's a part of our past. It's a lesson overall. It's a lesson of to remind us, like, hey, things things can change. Things can change fast. Yeah. Um, the world and nature and just... I mean, the big ball of fire in the sky, they all have big impacts. And uh, just not to be callous to thinking like, oh, it's just going to, you know, I can just jump in my car and, you know, life is always just going to be this. We got to be kind of aware that life hasn't always been this. Yeah. Um, How can we, you know, and if we expect life to always be this, we better put in some measures to uh, afford ourselves that future because nothing's guaranteed. I mean, look at all these animals that thrived for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. I mean, the sloth uh, dating, they say, goes between 5 million and then something wiped them out 11,000 years ago. So, uh, And we were on the planet when it happened, so that was an extinction point that we narrowly escaped. Hmm. And to think, and just, yeah, like I said, just to not be so calloused and just thinking like I can sit on my couch and the world's just going to turn and, you know, yesterday will be there tomorrow. Like we, you got to put in a little more effort and be aware of uh, just how magnificent and crazy that it is that we even exist and are here. Yeah. Very well said. I, I couldn't I couldn't put that any better. Uh, just just absolutely. I love the word lesson. I think that's the biggest thing I, I take away from all this. You know, these are a lot of these things were really imposing critters, giants, and they're all gone. And uh, and it happened like like you guys said, it happened really fast. Opposing uh, or figures. I mean, <clears throat> that my goal is to find in my lifetime. I'm going to find a predator. 
Yeah. <laughs> an ice age predator. There some, you go. Some type. That's it's, the goal. It's, 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 that's my that's my uh, manifestation or thing. That I'm, I'm going. That's what I'm pictured for. That, a lion, saber tooth, or or a short faced bear. It's going to be one of them. Or I'll take a dire wolf too. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any of those would be yeah. really really cool. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So that's 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 the that's the end game goal. That's that's what I'm hanging up hanging up the crick slicks. There you go. So, so that's that's why it keeps mattering to Mitch too. He's got more things to find yet. That's, yeah, we all uh, do. Yep, yep. That is that's a, that's a, that's a good way to wrap this one up. And uh, you know, maybe a question that I'll leave with the audience here is: thousands of years from now, what will they find of us? You know, of our time now. Hopefully, humans will still be around. Like John said, we escaped the extinction event that happened to all these critters. Hopefully we continue to do so, but the way we live now, what will, what will be left in the record in the mud from us? And, uh, um, what, what messages do we want to communicate? Cause when we look at these points that John has, has found and, and Mitch and Judd have found, and we think of the craftsmanship and the care and the skill that went into making them and using them, there's a lot there that makes us respect those people and uh we every day we leave our own mark here on this planet and we want when people are finding the things we leave behind to uh have that same level of respect for us too and uh, maybe that's where we wrap this one up there's there's always going to be more things to find but what are we actually leaving behind ourselves and uh what are we doing for our own species to keep us going just as uh it did at this you know, point in history when a lot of these things couldn't keep going, but, uh, we had a great time today. Yeah. John, you got, you got some, yeah, I just want to add some, you know, we're sitting around microphones and all this stuff, uh, lights on and what's it, what is that technology? And at one time, all these creatures drove human technology. We look at the points and mm. these points is a form of technology. It was the highest technology at that time. And yeah. what was driving it was these creatures so it's just uh, something cool to think about, you know, what's driving our technology today versus our ancestors. And we can look from 10,000 years ago, these artifacts that were driven by these creatures, they wouldn't exist without these creatures. And the, they pushed our technology at one time, and it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it sure is. And a good reminder that we should probably be more in tune with the critters and you know the the flora and fauna around us now and how that should help us make decisions uh for not just developing technology but for how we use that technology once it's developed uh as we continue going about our day-to-day living but man we had a great time today thanks for showing us around your spot here mitch and and uh you know just again real privilege to see your prairie as well Um, We got that lesson again, Nick. Conservation happens one yard at a time.